have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and an Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. What's going on, good people, and welcome to Bible School. I'm Reverend Kojo. I'm so glad you decided to join me today. We are in Revelation 18, uh, which is really a continuation of Re- Revelation 17, and we could have probably done these in tandem, but for the purpose of time, and and, and, and I've read your emails <laughs> about time, <laughs> um, I split them up, uh, but Revelation 17 and Revelation 18 both deal with the fall of Babylon, the mystery of Babylon. Um, and so we're going to continue right here, uh, chapter 18, verse 1. We find these words. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. That, that, okay, so let's start here. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That double falling kind of insists to us that it happened suddenly, that, that it was business as usual, that, um, that the, the church here or, or, the, or the, 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 I guess, power here, the woman here rather, um, was doing business as usual, was, was doing the fornication thing, was, was swindling people, was uh, pimping people, and, and all the stuff that it, it, it was common for, for her to do. And was riding the beast, was manipulating everything, and then suddenly, kind of, kind of like uh, the rapture, <laughs> suddenly is fallen, is fallen, and and it happens suddenly. Nobody saw it coming. Um, I want you to also notice here that um, at the end of the verse it says, "and has and a cage for every unclean and hateful bird." Um, you know, he talks about being the, the habitation of devil and the hold of every foul spirit. You remember when we compare the seven churches to um, verse 13? I mean, to Matthew 13, we um, we talked about how the, the birds were the ministers of Satan. And we talked about um, how they were dis- they were disguised as ministers of God, but they were really ministers of Satan. Um, and so, you know, this, this, this assertion that Babylon has fallen, this fallen has become a habitation for devils and it has present in it every foul spirit. And now it's a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. It's a cage for the ministers of Satan. It has become the place where those who claim Jesus Christ, but look like Satan are dwelling. Okay. Um, and, you know, there's this possibility that it because it's become a cage for every unclean and hateful bird that has become the habitation of devils, that has become a hold for every foul spirit. It's very possible that Babylon is where they're incarcerated during the, you know, the tribulation. It's very possible. Um, but, you know, that's just conjecture. Um, now, there, there are a lot of publications 
um, where they think that these demonic interactions, this um, where all of the stuff that we talk about here um, could has the possibility of being an alien interaction. Um, and I, I guess when, when I start reading that kind of stuff and I start hearing about that kind of stuff, I have to ask the question is what do we consider alien? Um, because to me, demonic, uh, demonic activity, um, to the Christian ought to be alien. <laughs> you ought not be familiar with it. And obviously that is the problem here with Babylon or the woman or the church or the Catholic church or the entire, however you want to look at it. Um, but see, and so, I mean, you know, you could say extraterrestrial, but I guess you have to, for me, you have to, we have to go back and ask the question, what is alien? Because alien would be foreign. And so if we're talking about alien to this world and we talk about alien to the world that we can see or alien to the world that, that is where we live, um, because to the Christian or to really to most people, uh, demonic activity ought to be alien to you. And that's just, that's my, that's my, my personal opinion. Um, but I will say that, that the alien thing is really popular. Uh, the belief that, that these interactions come from different planets, different universes, different galaxies. It's a really popular conjecture. I don't really get into it. Um, I guess it's not, it's not my conviction of sorts. And it's probably not my conviction because I, to me, anything that is um, demonic would be alien to me. Um, if we look at what alien means. Um, and I don't really care if you came from a different galaxy or a different universe or really just a different um, spiritual uh, place to me, all of it is alien and all of it. I reject <laughs> and all of it. I'm not really trying to become buddy, buddy with, but that's just me. Uh, but I'm also not somebody who's sitting there watching, you know, alien movies. So I'm, I'm not obsessed with finding the extraterrestrial. I will say this though, everybody that I've read, uh, that I've seen on TV who has claimed to have some interaction with the extraterrestrial or the aliens or, you know, whatever you want to say, UFOs, all of those people, have been, had some type of interaction with the occult. Uh, they were either doing the whole witchcraft thing or they were heavily into the Zodiac. They were doing the, they, they were, they, they were trying to, to get, tap into the spiritual realm without Christ. Um, which to me would suggest that alien interaction is foreign. <laughs> you should stay away from it, but also guard your spirit, guard your heart. Now, I don't really get into this thing, but that's, that's what a lot of people believe. And I do believe it is uh, probably my job to let you know what people believe about it, because even if it's not my opinion um, and it, it does unfold, I'd hate that you be ignorant about it. All right. Verse three, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. So the, the commerce between the kings and the woman are sub substantial. Um, all the nations have drunk the, the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So all the nations have come to adore, to love, to partake in the fact that she's, a lu she's lukewarm, that she is not um, what a Christian is supposed to be. They have come to adore it because through it they could hide. Through it, they could find solace and they could say, oh, I must be right with God because I'm right with this church. I'm right with this. And, and since this, this is a representative of the church, surely what I'm doing is not bad. We're doing the same thing. We're laying here together. Um, um, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. The merchants of the, in other words, I, you know, when we see this word fornication and we, we, I know a lot of times we think fornication sex. I mean, and, and on the surface, that's what it is. Uh, but the other piece of that for me is the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. The kings of the earth 
have have committed the plan to hurt others. They have they have come up with plans to subdue others. They have come up with plans to have financial gain at the cost of others. Because to me, fornication for the church is cheating on God. And our call for God with God is to preach good news to the poor. Okay? To tell, tell good news to the poor. Um, to set the captive free, to do, to do all of these things. And so for the church to have committed fornication with her, to me, and this is, this is conjecture, but this is biblical conjecture. To me, that sounds like they have planned to hurt somebody. And it may not be breaking somebody's physical legs, but it may be hurting somebody's mentality, their reputation, holding them down, keeping them below, um, below standard, keeping the, you know, oppression, slave, you know, all of those types of things. She has committed fornication and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. The merchants of the earth have found wealth in the fact that she has fornicated. So they, they become, they become rich because she has made these deals with these kings. And we're going to dig into what that is. It's going to become very apparent here in the next few verses. Verse four. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. Okay. Now I like this because this is a cry of God to the people who are sitting hidden in this system or in this woman to come out. Y'all remember in Revelation seven, he talks about this 144,000 Jews that are sealed. And then when we get to chapter 14, he mentions this 144,000 and not one is lost. Not one is lost. He's not lost one. There, there is not a shepherd better than Jesus Christ. There's not one. And so his, his, his goal here is, is yes, I have to do away with the bad system, but my children are inside of this system. They've been led astray. And since they've been led astray as the shepherd come out, Come out, my people. Don't get lost in this. Don't don't take on the identity of this. Don't don't find you yourself trapped in the due penalty of this sin. Don't be confused. He says, come out of her, my people. You don't have to be part of this. I've got other churches. I've got other places. I, I will tend to you and care for you. Come out, come out, come out. And I think that is the job of a, tra- a shepherd, whether you are an under shepherd like me or many of my other colleagues or you are Jesus. I think that is our job is, is, is not to be like, oh, we've just lost him. No, come out. You belong to me. Come out, come out. And so, I, you know, I, I, you can hear the voice of the shepherd that left the multitude to go find the one. You can hear the voice of the shepherd crying, don't fall for this. They are leading you astray. Yes, the, the papacy or, or the leaders of, or, or the bishops and the archbishops, all of them, they have, they have been sold down the river and they've sold you down the river and they have cashed in for it. But just because they've cashed in for it, don't, don't fall. And you know what? I think that the heart of, of Jesus is so tender because he too was sold down the river. You remember Judas was paid off to turn Jesus in. And so the, the, the idea here is don't, don't, you don't have to fall here. You don't have to fall here. You know, I know that I made this promise that you would get left in this, this tribulation and here you are, but I don't want to have to leave you a second time. Okay. 
And then, you know, I also kind of want to compare this to Lot in Genesis 18 and 19. You remember Lot, um, you know, when, when those two angels came down and they, they hung out with Abraham for a day, they had to go on to, to uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. But when they got to Sodom and Gomorrah, they went to Lot's house. And if you read carefully in chapter 19, you'll notice that when they got there, they were under assignment to make sure that they got Lot and his family out before they could destroy the city because they belonged even though Lot was rank and even though Lot had done some stuff and even though Lot was not the good guy and even though he was tied to Abraham. And since he was tied to Abraham, it was the goal of the angels. They had to get him out. They had to get his family out because he was, he belonged to something that was valuable to God. Here you see, you see, you hear the good shepherd saying, come out of her, my people, come out, come out because you belong to me. You don't have to stay here. Come out. You belong to me. This call to come out of her, uh, my people, appears in Scripture seven times. And this is the last time. It's, this tells you how, how things on this earth are, are rounding out in their ending. And, and this good, good shepherd that I serve desires that not one be lost no matter how far they wander. That, that's always encouraging to me because we, we in this chapter, this, this chapter in the last several chapters and in chapters to come, it, it's kind of hard to see hope because we see the Holy Spirit is, is not there protecting. We see uh, judgment and wrath being poured out, but yet there is still a gracious God who sits high. And although he's allowed these things to take place, he still loves those who call on his name no matter how far they wander. All right. Verse five, for her sins have reached unto heaven and God hath remembered her iniquities. Reward her even as she has rewarded you and double unto her double according to her works and the cup which she hath filled to her double. In other words, don't get stuck in this because well, I'm about to rain down some fury on this head. <laughs> it's really about to get nasty. It's about to get really ugly. And I don't want to have to make you suffer what is about to fall on this head. <sighs> Verse 7, and how much how she had glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment, sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I said a queen. I am no widow. And shall see no sorrow. Now, when she says, I am a queen, I am no widow. I think you have to have an understanding of Old Testament. She's saying that in contrast to Israel. She is, she is basically saying, F you, Israel. She's basically, that's basically what she's saying. And how do I know this? I, and th yeah, I want you all to understand that this was written thousands of years before the Holocaust ever happened. This was written hundreds of years before the Crusades ever happened. Um, but, but she makes this statement, I am no widow. She's saying that in contrast to Israel because Israel was always the widow of, of Yahweh. Okay? Always the widow of, of Yahweh. She says, I, and, and I want you to understand that a widow and any non-virgin was never acceptable to the high priest. So in the Jewish tradition, that was not okay. And the church has been portrayed as the virgin bride because it would be an acceptable bride unto Jesus. Now I do have to ask you the question, is the church really a virgin bride? Technically, no. But because the blood was applied, Yes. And that's, that's, that's one of those magical things about the blood. Well, not magical. That's not a good word. Majestic things about the, the blood of, of Jesus Christ is that it covers even when you screw up and it wipes away the things and it makes you pure when you really 
are everything but pure. Now, she makes this boast, I'm no widow. And she's saying that in contrast to Israel. She is basically saying, I'm better than Israel. And I think that when we look back down history, she plays that out. She plays that out. Every time we, every time we say she's playing it out, that, that heresy, I told you about how the church replaces Israel. She's, she's living that out. And I think that this verse basically stamps all of that conjecture and all of that heinous work, all of that stuff that the church has co-signed over generations and thousands and over millenniums, really over, you know, over thousands of years and over, um, centuries and decades and how, in ourselves, we've kind of become um, bigger than than we ought. We thought more highly of ourselves than we ought. Yes, we are rectified by the blood of Jesus, but that doesn't uh, take anything away from from who God is or what God can do for anybody else. You remember Jesus made the, the statement. He said, "I have children that you know not of," and he was really talking to the Jews. And I think he was mentioning making placing claim to the Gentiles. But I think we can take that too. And, and as although we were the hidden then, that does not take away from the fact that he was still talking to the Jews. And even though we were the children that they knew not of, it's the other way around. It seems that as though, as though it was flipped back on them. Okay. Verse 8. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. For strong is the Lord God who judgeth her. Her plagues, it's about to get ugly. <laughs> it's about to get ugly. It's about to get ugly. They, they ate her. They killed her and all this stuff. But the, the body itself, the, the church that remains is about to see heinous, heinous things. But what I want you to also notice, we're about to enter um, three waves of mourning. Yeah, it's going to be three groups that are going to moan on behalf of her torment. But the, the thing is, is that they're going to mourn not for her sake, but for theirs. See, I want you to notice that, that when we look at the love of Christ is that when we see his, his mourning, his mourning is usually on, uh, on our behalf. When heaven mourns, it mourns on our behalf. It, it has a sense of empathy. It's able to put its feet in our shoes and, and, and be sad on our behalf. When it is Satan and Satan's tools and his, his, his beloved, mm, doesn't that sound weird? They don't know how to have empathy. The pain that they feel is only their own because it is brewed out of selfishness that comes from the pride that originated from the fall of Satan. The whole reason that he went from being Lucifer to being Satan. I mean, to being Satan. Wow. Okay. Verse 9. Here we go. First wave. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and have lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, and this is the first first group that are moaning, moaning, moaning. These are the kings of the earth. These are the kings of the earth. These are the guys who she was fornicating with. These are the guys who they were making backdoor deals with. These are the guys who they were sitting and and, and scrubbing the Bible out. These are the these. This is the place where they were going and they were changing uh, what thus saith the Lord to fit their fancy and their taste, so that they could rule the world in their own way, do their own thing. 
Now the the scripture the, the scripture says they live deliciously. Now that sounds really weird to me. They live deliciously. I want to think of this as the faithless church. So instead of reprove, reproving and renouncing that which is not right, they they connived at a self indulgent luxury of the great men of this world and sanctioned it by her own practice. She got in bed with with folks that had things so they could give it to her, so that she would gain wealth as well, so that she could manipulate and and make things happen. Now. Because she then sort of, in many ways, became the most powerful being on earth. Yeah, the kings had it in right. But they were looking for a way to stamp or put the place a stamp of approval on their things so they could sleep at night and so that the people would follow, follow them. Because remember, religion is the opiate of the people. And so if you could say that there was a higher power that was okaying this, that he had possibly ordained this, and you have the highest officer of that church okaying this, ordaining this, making this okay, then the people would mindlessly follow. And for generations and generations, we saw that. And that's why I believe so many people who do not believe in Jesus say that it's a mindless religion and it's not the truth. But because their leaders taught them to be mindless and to just follow in faith, they never studied to show themselves the truth, the proof. They never became like the Berean Jews. They never scrubbed the scriptures down to see if what they were being told was true. Or maybe they had been given Bibles that were not complete. Like they did with Constantine in the very beginning of all of this when the church married the world. The church marries the world. And when the church marries the world, they get rid of They start teaching that, oh, Christ is not going to come back and reign. He's not going to rule. He's going to rule in your heart. When the slave boats made it to the Americas and to the Caribbean, they came up with a slave Bible. At first, they didn't want to read. They came up with a slave Bible. Teach this. Everything about getting free and, and, get, and Pharaoh let us go. All of that stuff was missing. So that maybe there would be the stamp on this white supremacy thing uh, for those of us in, in modern history who were greedy. Got comfortable, got comfortable by teaching a prosperity gospel that that fixed my greed. And I'm not saying things are bad, but here's the truth is that God is not going to bless lust. And so if it becomes your source, if it becomes your chief desire, if it becomes a thing that you chase after and you stop chasing after him, he's not going to satiate that. And he's darn sure not going to bless it. God blesses that when your focus is on him. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all of his righteousness. Then all of these things will be added to, unto you. Not seek all these things and then the kingdom of righteousness shall follow. It doesn't work that way. Oh, but we've made this our story. We've made this our story. We've, we've made this how we behave. And, we are, and, 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 and see, man's carnal mind, it relishes a religion loves, desires, chases after a religion of that like this church. You know, it gives, it gives medicine or opiate or satisfaction to conscience and it leaves the sinner with a license to indulge in those lusts. We become, we fall in love with this idea that I can do what we want to do. We're attracted to systems and faiths that feed our sins and help us sleep at night. And my thing is we can't so even solely relegate this to the Catholic Church because we all frame theologies to taste. 
We all want a Bible that makes us sleep well at night. It never calls us out. We don't want a Bible that makes me feel bad when I, when I listen. I don't want something that's coming in and changing my own, my, my, my stance. Telling me that I'm, I'm jacked up and messed up and that God is not pleased. No, and so we look for religion that suits our fancy. That lends to our lens of, life, of living. Now I want you to contrast this to the world's rejoicing over the dead bodies of the two witnesses now. Remember Revelation 11.10? You know, the two who, who, who were tormented, they tor- the world had tormented them by their faithfulness and with the lamentations of, of, of the har- harlot. And, you know, the, the guys that are, on, on, that, are, that, are, that are killed because they were right and good and the world rejoices in this verse. The men mourn. They don't mourn after goodness and righteousness. They mourn that their past for sin is gone. Or what they thought was their past for sin. They mourn that they no longer have anything to hide behind. That their evil will be now exposed. Hmm. Verse 10. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas. The great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. Don't you notice in that first that they're afraid and they're crying and they're hollering out um, because God's judgment tends to bring some some feeling and emotions. But their fear is is only for like a brief moment and it, it doubles up. They double back down. They double back down on the woman. Now, they didn't double back down. They didn't come back and try to come to repentance. They didn't turn from their hearts. They didn't say, maybe we got this wrong. No, they double back down on their wrong. And they say, Babylon, that mighty city, they begin to go back and say, oh, we're going to support this even unto death because death has come of it. But we're going to stay with the thing that is dead. I think that's a lesson. I think that's a lesson. Sometimes um, times will move on. Trends will move on. And we'll hold on to the thing that is dead because it's familiar. We'll hold on to the thing that is dead because it's familiar and because it cosigns where we desire to be. We'll hold on to the thing that is familiar and we'll, we'll stay there and hold on to it even though it's dead and rotting between our fingers. We hold on because we want to continue in sin. God is calling you to something else. He's, he's trying to show you that you've not gotten it right, that there is hope evermore. But instead of turning to the right side, after trembling in their boots, these men begin to double down on the wrong. They begin to uphold Babylon, the city of man, because the city of man affirms they're in their wrongness. It holds them accountable to nothing, but it makes them feel like ruler and king. It makes them feel like they were the best thing ever And so to hold on to the memory of what allowed them to be wrong, allowed them to never be checked, allowed them to be bold in their sin, or turn and let it all go. But the uncertainty of what following a true Jesus could do was not as comfortable as standing behind what had been wrong. And so they didn't. Verse 11. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. Now the merchants is, is the second group that they're mourning. They're mourning because 
she's led them to buy everything. Oh, man. Everything. And this is why I could, I, I could believe somebody would think that Babylon would be America. And I'm going to deal with that at the end. <laughs> because we're about to see this list. And this list is going to go on forever. You know, because no one buys their merchandise anymore. And verse 12 and 13 tells us their merchandise was of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and fine wood and all manners of vessels of ivory and all manner of vessels of precious wood and of brass and of iron and of marble and cinnamon and odors and, and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beast and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. Ooh, 28 cargoes, seven times four, 28 cargoes. Now there are scholars who stand on either side of this thing. Some people think this is a literal list. And I, I would think because it's very specific that it is a literal list, but I also think it's a spiritual list as well. You know, Rome, you know, it's such a specific, but, but on a spiritual thing, I want you to think of Rome was not a commercial city. Not in that day it wasn't. And it's not likely from her position to be so. And the merchandise, therefore, you would think would be spiritual. Just like the harlot is not literal, but spiritual. Now, I want you to think about this. She didn't witness against carnal luxury or pleasure seeking. She didn't, well, she didn't witness against the lust of the flesh. And, you know, this, she, she was the source of the merchant's gain. She was the reason that people bought. And, she conformed to their model. She cared not for the sheep, those who she was entrusted to. We just saw, we just saw the voice calling, come out of her, come out of her. The real shepherd was. She cared not for the sheep, but for the wool. Mm. Cared not for your soul. Mm. And that's not scripture. But she cared not for, for your soul, but for your tithes. Cared not for you, but for your influence. Oh, sounds familiar, right? You know, professing Christian merchants uh, in her lived as if the world, of this world and not heaven were the reality and were unscrupulous as their means of getting gain. These guys chased wealth. They didn't chase God. You know, and the thing is that when we, we, we I, I tell myself this all the time, I have a covenant with God. I tithe and he promised that he's going to pour out a blessing that I don't have room to receive. We have a covenant. Bills should be paid. Should never be begging bread. But this was, this was not the model. This was not the model. The model here was that I cared for your wool. That's why I cared for the sheep. So that I could shear them and make the money off of them. Bring it to the day. I cared about your tithes so that I could get the the wine and oil, the fine flour, the wheat, the beast, the sheep, the horses, the chariots, and even the slave. See, but what bothers me here is that that they sold souls of men. Slaves bothered me, but souls of men bothered me even more. But I guess that's kind of appropriate for this spiritual heart, this harlot, this apostate Christendom, this jacked up church, and it's kind of especially in Rome, but not limited to Rome, you know. Because Rome enslaved both bodies and souls of men. You know, no, the, the, the New Testament doesn't really forbid slavery. 
which, you know, kind of in the state of the world would have caused revolt. It virtually condemns it here. It does. And I think what we must open our eyes to is not only has the popery devised his greatest gains from the sale of the masses of souls of men after death, which didn't work because it sold indulgences, indulgences. But, and it retailed a profit off the idea that somebody could pay their, their child's way into heaven. But the souls of men, you think about every gospel that has been wrong. Jim Jones leading all those folks down there to drink Kool-Aid. Every little cult that pops up. Every idea that you could just do this and you'll be saved. There's nothing you can do other than confess and believe to be saved. But if I can sell it, make some money off of it. Hey, why don't you buy some of this holy oil? this holy water, and I put it on TBN or I put it on Christian Broadcast uh, Network. And let me turn a prophet. If you buy these sermons, God will bless your life. Now, you may be able to get some breakthrough. Come up through this prayer line and you'll receive. That's not God. That's not God. It is not of God. But that's what we're talking about here. And that's not simple. That's not just the Catholic Church. It's not only the Catholic Church in the Thyatiran Church. It's not just the Catholic Church that is apostate. Many of these churches, our churches, are apostate. Don't you think about this? In the Roman Empire, a third of the population were slaves. And you could say, you could say now, we don't have slaves today. Wrong. In the United States, 40% of your income goes to taxes. The educational system is getting more lax and dumbed down, calling it more complex, more dumbed down. Degrees are worth less. And we're not encouraging people to think deeply and widely. We're teaching people that the world came into being by a big bang. We have an intelligent creation that came into being by nothing. You talk about slavery. It may not be slavery like we know it to be American slavery or Roman slavery. But slavery is still a thing. The wage gap is bigger than ever. It's crazy. What do you do with that? Verse 14. And the fruits of thy soul lusted after are departed from thee. And all the things that were dainty and goodly are departed from thee. And thou shalt find them no more at all. The things that were dainty and goodly departed from me. The things that I was okay with you. You know, he had some good to say about Thyatira. He had some good to say about Thyatira, but the good that I said about you is gone. The things that I was proud about then, you have, it's all left. And the fruits of thy soul lusted after that thy soul depart. The things that you were proud of. I may not have been proud of you as God speaking, but the things that you were proud of are, are gone. The things that you were happy with are gone. The things that, that, that should have been strange to a Christian appetite, that strange fruit that you let live in your house. That we wasn't, it wasn't strange for your location and your time because you were hanging with the best of them. And I think this is a message to you because a, a lot of times I think we, we sit in, in, in rooms 
And because everybody is doing the yoga or everybody is reading the Zodiac or everybody is chanting or everybody has said it's okay to watch this, to do this, to be this. It's okay to fornicate. It's okay to be adulterous. Old men are not faithful. Bull crap. All of these things that should have been strange fruit because you were a Christian. It wasn't strange to your location or your time, but it should have been strange to your Christian appetite. But because we never developed a Christian appetite, it wasn't strange. The fruit that that soul lusted after is gone. And the things that I was proud of in you are gone. And you will never find them again. Oh, that's, that's depressing. What do you do with that? He gave an opportunity for repentance. Verse 15. The merchants of these things, which were made rich by her, shall stand afar off for fear of her tor- torment, weeping in a well. And they're going to stand there. They're, gonna, they're not, they're not going to try to save her. They're going to stand far and they're going to cry as she falls apart. Not for, the, not for her, but for themselves. And saying, alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, decked with gold and precious stones and pearl. For in one hour so great riches has come to naught. Ooh. So, all that great city that was clothed in all of my stuff, that paid all my bills and paid for my beach house and paid for my lake house and, and made sure that my wife was always kept and all the finest things, all of that, all of that is made for naught. And they're going to weep because no more profit is to be made. Verse 17, and, and in one hour, so great riches has come to naught. And here we are with the, the third group. And every shipmaster and all the company in ships and sailors, as many as by trade, as trade by sea, stood afar off. Again, here we go again. They're not crying because they lost because of her. They're crying because of their loss. She's the third group. And they cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what city is like unto this city? Mm. And they cast dust on their hands, heads, very Jewish, and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, the great city, wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour is she made desolate. I want you to notice that the three groups mourning her loss are again are mourning for their own sake. Now I want you to notice that the three groups are the kings of the earth, the merchants, and those who trade by sea. These are the foundations of world trade. Huh. The European Union was founded on what? World trade. The foundation that they laid is on the Catholic Church, or rather that they hid behind. That whole, the whole European Union was built on this idea that we're going to conquer, but we're going to conquer in the name of Jesus. We're going to take, but we're going to take in the name of Jesus. We're going to go to Africa and rape it of all of its good sources. But we're going to say that we're going to bring Jesus. And I heard somebody say, he said, when, we, when, they, when they arrived, we had the Jews and they had Jesus. When they left, we had, they had the Jews and we had Jesus. And there's nothing greater than Jesus, kid you not, but how dare you? How dare you give somebody a form of Jesus, but pair it. You, how can you give somebody Jesus, but not live it? Of what value does that give you? Of what value does that prove him righteous? You know, I, I say in a sermon um, some time ago 
that our generation, my generation, runs from Jesus because they can't see Jesus. And I'm not talking about in the flesh. I'm talking about they can't see Jesus in people who claim Jesus. And so, yeah, I asked the question, how dare you? Yeah, you, 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 you've subdued the world. You subdued the world. You subdued the world. But what? With what? For what? You know, the mask here of goodness by the way of evil is over. That's why people see, you know, I, I was on a, a radio show earlier this year. And it was a girl who was Jewish and a guy who was atheist. And they were making conversation. They were talking and we were talking about losing religion. Well, I have mine is intact. <laughs> but the girl made this statement. She said the church was founded on, on a corruption. The Catholic church was founded on corruption. And although that was the first organized church, that was not the foundation of the church. The church was founded after Pentecost. But all we seem to remember is when it became apostate. And that's what the history books remember because that would be the will of Satan. Don't remember when it was good and pure. Don't remember when it was made right. Remember when it became apostate. Remember when it marries the world and it begins to take over the world. When I start using it. Hey, that's, that would be what men would see. Oh, man. Verse 20. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets. For God hath avenged you on her. This is the first time in Revelation that we are told to rejoice. I don't want you to see there's more joy in heaven at the harlot's downfall than the two beasts. Um, you know, the most heinous of all sin of the world, and of, 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 uh, the heinous of all sin is sin of those who know God and of his grace. But keep it not. You know, the raunchiness of the church is the worldliness, worldliest, worldliness of all. It doesn't get more rank than that. It, it doesn't. It, it doesn't. I want you to also notice this, that the term harlot describes the, fa- for the false church's essential character. She, she, throughout these two chapters, she retains her shape as the woman. And she never becomes the beast. She has the form of godliness. She looks like she knows the Lord, but she rejects its power. That sounds like Romans 1 to me. Her rightful Lord and husband, Jehovah, Jesus Christ, Jehovah, Jesus Christ. And the joys and the goods and the righteousness of his house are far from her. But she runs after the visible and the vain things and the things that cause destruction in all of its manifold and various forms. And then the fullness of her person is her whoredom. Where the church wants to be by itself a worldly power. Uses politics and it uses diplomacy and makes the flesh her arm. It uses unholy means for holy ends or that she thinks. She spreads her dominion by the sword. She kills and she has war. She causes famine. She fascinates men by sensual ritualism. She draws them in. She becomes mistress of ceremonies to the dignitaries of the world. She flatters the prince and the people like Israel and seeks the help of one world power. 
and she threatens another. She is not something worth following, but she has all the glamour to make you think, which to me again is scary because we follow that which is glamorous. When a church has lights and they're present and they got a big pretty building and their pastor is trendy, the church swells. You got a church trying to do the right thing, it struggles to get people to attend. The church was never supposed to rule until Christ came back. It was never the will of, of the Lord that the church would rule until the church came back. And once you notice what happens when the church tries to rule, it automatically falls into the hands of Satan. Because absolute power, it corrupts absolutely. Power without the guidance of God is the surest way, the surest way to end yourself in damnation. But here's what happens. Judgment begins with the harlot. And it thus beginning in the house of God. He shuts down the debauchery. He shuts down the mess that's been in his house. He's cleaning house. He's, he's shutting down all of the, the blasphemy and the debauchery and the heinous craziness that has been going on in his name. Because it looks nothing like him. There are so many people who won't come to Christ because of what the church looks like. And here we see it. Verse 21. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall the great city of Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. Okay, so this word violence, uh, the Greek would, would, would translate with impetus. The verse shows that this prophecy is regarded it's as if it's, it's still got to be fulfilled. So this hasn't happened. This has not happened. This is coming. This is coming. Now, I also want you to kind of cross-reference this with Luke 17, 2 and, and Matthew 18, 6. Because do you remember he said, if you hurt any of my little ones, it would be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck. And so she, he, this angel throws his millstone at, as a symbol of Babylon to be thrown down. They hurt the little ones, led them astray. Told them the wrong stuff. And so the, the calls, the price to be paid is the same. Verse 22. And the voice of the harpers and musicians and the pipers and the trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman or whatsoever craft he, he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of millstone shall be heard no more. At all in thee. We just, we, this, these pipers, these musicians, these trumpeters, these musicians, these painters, and these sculptors have desecrated their art to lend fascination to the sensuous worship of this, this Christendom, this fake church, this church that has looked like the church has been the largest arm of the church, has been loud. And when they, people, I mean, people worship this dude like Jesus. We heard no more. He's shutting it down. We're not listening to music any longer that is self-edifying and gratifying and, and has no meaning, that worships the wrong things. Oh. 23, verse 23. And the light of the candle shall shine no more at all in thee, and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall be heard no more in, at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth, and for by their sorceries were all nations deceived. 
Now that that's a blessed contrast to Revelation twenty two five. You know, respecting the city of God, that he says they need no candle. Just as Babylon shall no more have the light of the candle before widely different reason. You know, the Lord God gives them light. This is Revelation twenty two five. Here, the light is no more, and he's not giving them light. He's allowing darkness to dwell on them because it is their part. It's their portion. It's what they deserve. Now, I want you to also notice that this candle in the Greek is better translated lampstand. You know, we talked several chapters about that lampstand has an oil source. The oil is gone. The anointing has departed. It's no longer there. Hmm. Now I want you to also notice that the bridegroom, the bride no more is no longer there in the, in them. I want you to contrast that to the heavenly city where the bridegroom and the bride are having this blessed uh, marriage supper that we supper we're going to see in revelations 19 and revelation 21. Um, and that is, is foreshadowed in Isaiah 62. I want you to see that this blessed, blessed marriage supper that we're anticipating next chapter, things are about to turn around is no longer not going to be there anymore. Verse 24, and I want you to see this. And it was in her blood, and it was in her was found the blood of the prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. This blood that was, this blood right here, this blood that was applied by Christ. That kind of proves to me that this is, is not merely, it's not only the literal city of Rome and the church of Rome. Although it's the chief representative here. But this is the whole of the faithless church that is meant by the Babylon, the harlot. This is the whole of the church. Okay. Which asks, leads me to ask this question. In the study on Isaiah 13, 14, Jeremiah 50, 51, and, and these two chapters as well that I asked you to read. You know, we find the promise that Babylon is going to be destroyed by Sodom and Gomorrah. How do we reconcile that here? You know, it also speaks that Babylon will be a literal city on the Euphrates and it's going to be the pride of the Chaldeans where Babylon was uh, initially seated. And in, in both Isaiah and Jeremiah, it's, it's, it happens during a period called the day of the Lord, which would be this end time. So how do we reconcile that? It leads to this question, is this Rome or is this Babylon? Or could it be both? So this guy I really like, his name's Chuck Misler. He has this idea that based off of Zechariah 5, and I'll read it to you, based off of Zechariah, Zechariah 5, verse 5, uh, starting at verse 5, it says that the angel, then the angel that walked, talked with me, uh, went forth and said unto me, lift up now thine eyes and see what is this that goeth forth. And I said, what is it? And he said, this is an ephah that goeth forth. And he said, moreover, this is the resemblance of all, that all the, the all the earth. Now I want you to see that you know an ephah is is the standard amount trade amount for that time. Verse seven, and behold, there was lifted up a talent of lead, and this is the woman that sitteth in the midst of the ephah. Could this be the woman of Revelation seventeen and eighteen, verse eight? And he said, "This is wickedness," and he cast it in the midst of the ephah and cast the weight of lead upon the mouth thereof. Then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, there came out two women. And the wind was in their wings, for they had wings like the wings of a stork. 
Remember, a stork is unclean, but this is a Jewish vision, okay? It has sinister undertones. Um, and then, and they lifted up the ephah between earth and the heaven and said I to the angel that talked with me, whither do these bear the ephah? And he said unto me to build a house in the land of Shinar, and it shall be established and set there upon her own base. Now, Shinar is synonymous with Babylon. Now, considering that Babylon was the origin of all sin and all, all of this, that, that Rome eventually came from Babylon after power centers moved four times um, and moved with world power, it could suggest that there, it could move back at the end. If it's true, now this is a wild view, it's an odd view, and it's a Chuck Missler view. I like Chuck Missler. I will say that. I like him. But it's an it's a Chuck Missler view. And I, what I say about that is he can go down um he can go down some interesting paths to come to come some conclusions. But as he comes to his conclusion, I'm not gonna say that it's a wrong conclusion or a bad conclusion, because if this starts happening, I'm gonna know something. Okay. Now, I will say this. Um he made that conjecture in the nineties. Okay. And and when he made that conjecture in the nineties, he started, he said this, he said, he said, I know it's a weird, it's a wild view, but he said, he said, if the Pope starts positioning himself to appease Islam, yikes, that's happening. And if he starts apologizing to products, products as the current Pope started doing that, you might want to look to this as being realistic. Like it's, this has some possibility uh, because he would be positioning himself to be a one world leader. All right. And I'm just going to say this. Whether the Zechariah 5 view happens or whether we say that this is Rome or this is Babylon or this is both, I think the key here is understanding that there's a church here. Okay? And I don't necessarily think that this church is just the Catholic church. And so if you're a Protestant, I don't think this is an opportunity for you to deep breathe and say, oh, he's not talking to me because it's a lot of stuff that is very present in the Protestant church. And I can see how somebody could think that America is the mystery Babylon. You know, I don't believe that America is the entire mystery and I don't think America is in place of Rome. No, I don't. But I do think that American Christendom is a part of it. I think we, I think American Christendom has exemplifies so much of this that we need to open our eyes and say, how do I change? We need to go back and look into Revelation 2 and 3 and say, what do I do? To make sure that I do not get stuck here and be a part of this. Because I know, you, if you remember, America was built on Christianity and was built on this running away from the Catholic Church. But in, in the very things that they did to run away from the Catholic Church, saying that the Catholic Church was wrong, they became it. They became it. You built, you came, you ran over here to, these country, to this, this, this land, you stole it from people and called it Manifest Destiny. Then on top of calling it manifest destiny, you go and you steal people and resources from their homes, their families, never to be reunited again. You rip families apart and called it the will of God and then said that these people were not even human, have, have systematically caused people brokenness to go down generation to generation to people that you still don't respect souls of men slaves 
to become the one of the wealthiest nations in the world. To be built on world trade sounds really familiar. I understand how you could come to that conclusion, but I do not think it's only America. But I think America got some skin in this game. And I think that we need to take a long, hard look at ourselves, at our churches, at our constructs, at our everyday actions and the things that we do on a regular basis, person by person, family by family, church by church, state by state, region by region, and ask the question, how much of my Christianity looks like Christ? And you need to go back to the scriptures and ask the question, how do I make sure that I don't get left in this mess? Because this is the only church that gets left. And a lot of us surely do look like it. And I don't think it's just Catholic. I think the Catholic Church is hardly, is very much so at fault. I think they led the charge. I think the popes led the charge, and I think they got in bed with the kings, and I think that's how the European Union came to being. But America is not innocent. But the good news here is that there is hope. He's not cracked this guy yet. He hasn't said come up here yet. So there's an, there's, a, there's an opportunity, there's hope to turn, to turn, to come out of her. There's, there's an opportunity to, to say, God, your will is truly what I desire. My will has to die. These desires got to shift because where you are is where I desire to be. There's hope. There's hope. But we can't become so caught up in our ideas and who we want to be that we totally miss God and get left here and definitely don't want to be the folks that double down because I know that that's the thing that's a thing that's a thing right here in the United States a thing we double down God's in judgment and we double down how about we have a repentant heart pointed toward God so that we too would be redeemed like I said I said every episode I don't want to be here and so I personally am going to do an introspect, I'm going to look inside of me. And I'm going to ask the question, Lord, what do I need to do to get this thing right? What do I got to do? Because I don't want to be the thing that gets left. I don't want to be left. I want me and mine to be in heaven. When he says, come up here, if, whether I die first or whether he cracks the sky first, on the first try. I want to make sure I'm in paradise with God. And I hope that's your desire too. Well, guys, this has been, um, this has been Revelation 18. I want to pray with you today because I think that this is probably speaking louder to us than most of these passages. I think the other passages are kind of entertaining. We don't have to have a lot of stress about, but I think that we need to take a really deep introspective look. So let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you for all that you do and all that you are. Thank you for this platform and this podcast. God, I pray that you would prick our hearts where we are guilty and help us apply the blood of God and to turn from our wicked ways. That we would see your salvation loud and clear. Cleansing, God, that we would draw others to, to your righteous way, God. That this word would be a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet. And that we would learn to hide it in our hearts so that we may not sin against you any longer. We love you, God. We praise you in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.